Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nesting, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring Fantasy Flight Games' Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we're going to continue our in-depth dive into the investigators that have been released so far, class by class. For our third episode in the series, we're going to be talking about the Rogues of Arkham. Does anyone hear sirens in the distance? Are, are the cops on their way? Are these, uh... These illegal crime doers, uh, are they going to be arrested? And, and is that how this episode's going to end? <laughs> Stay tuned to find out. Well, not all their intentions are uh, malicious. Yeah, I think that's true, but a lot of their cards have the kind of like, uh, you know, gambling or crime doing kind of feel to them. I think they're all criminals, aren't they? Rogues are fun. I think that like since the outside of the game, they've kind of struggled a little bit. They have kind of like a strong identity where like their cards feel like rogue cards. But a lot of times their cards are more kind of like fun than they are actually good. Is that unfair? Like, I, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I think that recently there was kind of a debate on social media <laughs> that was kind of like, where are rogues right now? Because there were people in the beginning when Finn came out uh, around Carcosa, when, when there were just about three investigators in the game for each class, that like there were people that were voicing like, wow, Finn is actually very good. Like Graham, for example, our good friend Graham of the uh, Pallid Mask Detective Agency. Cybergram of palladmask.exe slash uh, <laughs> Trilo City Grid. Yeah, was a huge proponent of rogues and interesting ways that you can use them. But I think that by and large, they just didn't have enough tools to measure up to the raw power of Guardians and Seekers because they were kind of almost like a secondary Seeker class for a while. Where, whereas like kind of some of them could do a little bit of fighting, some of them could do a little bit of Seeking, but not necessarily really excel at any one given thing. Now I think they've kind of come a long way and are actually able to hold their own with really strong cards that help them investigate and really strong cards that enable them to do really interesting big turns. Yeah, I think their whole deal is like they like to do big flashy things that maybe uh like there's some a lot more risk involved than like a a guardian or a seeker. Like there's a bigger chance they'll failure, but it'll be a bigger payoff. Uh, which is like more like the, oh, this is a fun card because it could do this crazy thing, but you know, it might not be as consistent. Right, right, yeah. Sacrificing consistency for the oomph. We yeah, we have seen some powerful cards recently, especially things like haste. I think that one one rogue element that is really strong is sort of like taking extra actions. Like what we've kind of seen in the game so far is that guardians and seekers and to a lesser extent mystics have ways to make their actions more efficient and that's something that survivors and uh, rogues have traditionally lacked what they have instead is a lot of ways to like boost their skills and pass tests which is nice and we should mention again that so modes of the game that we don't play as much like solo and expert mode i think that there's more of a case to be made for rogues being good than what we usually do which is like standard or hard mode like three or four player but I think that rogues kind of like lacked on just pure, like, how can you use your actions the most efficiently to get clues or fight enemies? But what we're seeing is that, like, if you can get enough actions, you know, or if you can get enough money and then play cards that are kind of like good but expensive, we have seen some powerful rogue decks come along recently because of that, I think. Yeah, I think rogues have a lot of individually more powerful cards now, whereas they used to be sort of jacks of all trades, which kind of enabled them, like you said, to be really good in solo. 
now they can they have those cards and they can kind of um, take from their off class or the other the other things that they can dip into and enhance it with the current rogue pool in a really effective way. Yeah, certainly with the um, with the advent of uh, Finn, who can really specialize pretty hard in the the seeker direction, and Tony, who can go pretty far in the direction of like fighting and dealing with enemies. Definitely, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So let's let's just jump in and, and talk about the individual uh, investigators. And remember, when we do this series, where for each investigator, we're trying to answer these five questions: What is this investigator's greatest strength? What is their greatest flaw or weakness or downside? What kind of roles can they play in a group or on their own, role or roles? What are some of their favorite cards? And uh, lastly, what movie would they star in? And is this a movie that we recommend people if you're interested in kind of like getting the feel of this character? So I guess without, uh, without further ado, so the very first rogue that was released in the game is our old buddy Skids O'Toole. Skids, of course, is a nickname or alias. It's not his real name. <laughs> do we actually, do we know his first name? Uh, uh it's actually Bo. <laughs> yeah, Bo O'Toole. It sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, no. Actually. Maybe if there's eventually a Skids novel, maybe we'll get to find out his real name. Maybe it's like a uh, Harvey or something. Harvey O'Toole. No, it's probably that, Dave. that's probably not it. Uh, yeah, it's probably Dane. Probably Dane O'Toole. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Skids' stats are uh, two willpower, three intellect, three combat, four agility. His ability is during his turn. He can spend two resources to take an extra action, which is pretty cool. Limit once per turn. And for deck building, he gets uh, all rogue cards, and then he gets guardian cards up to level two, so guardian subclass. His uh, signature card is an event called On the Lamb, which you play at the beginning of your turn, and then non-elite enemies can't attack you. It is extremely bad and doesn't really do anything, <laughs> but it does have a bunch of icons on it, so you can at least commit it. And then his weakness is called Hospital Debts. Uh, when you draw it, it goes in your play area. You have to spend money to put money onto it. And at the end of the game, if you haven't put enough money on it, then you get less XP, which sucks. But other people can help you by putting money towards it, so that's kind of cool. So Skids, I, I think uh, Skids often is, we kind of use as like a punching bag, or like a joke, as like a laughably <laughs> bad character. He definitely is the brunt of a lot of jokes. Is that fair? Like, is Skids as bad as we kind of you know, assumed that he is based on the early days of the game or has, has, have things kind of turned around a little bit for skids? What do you guys think? The expansion of the card pool has helped him a lot. And also like a little bit more diversity in, uh, the threats that the mythos brings. Cause he got a pretty bad rap because in core and to a lesser extent Dunwich, uh, there was a lot of will tests and <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, it was very bad to have low willpower. Which is, I mean, Roland also has low willpower, but Roland just had kind of better other stuff to complement Yeah, he had it. other ways to, like, soak the horror and, and right. deal yeah. with it. Yeah. Now there's a little bit more, there's a few more options that skids can make use of to kind of mitigate that weakness. But more importantly, there's a lot more cards that uh, help you get money and make use of having money. But it wasn't too much originally uh, early on. And his whole deal is he can spend money to get extractions. So he wants to, like, always be running on, like, getting lots of money having it to get extractions and then maybe he can use some of the money cards like money talks or well connected or any or any of that stuff that uh has good synergy with that because there's so in the core set the only real cards that gave you money i'm probably forgetting some but the major ones were like emergency cash level zero and hot streak which is like level five and since then we've just seen so much more now there's like payday easy mark level two hot streak lone wolf the new ally that can give you money kind of awkwardly. Yeah, Gregory Gray. Like there's just a lot. Yeah. Like there's just a lot more ways to get money now. And the thing is skids ability. If you have a steady stream of money coming in, just being able to basically get a fourth click every turn 
um, or a fifth if you have Leo DeLuca out, is that's not bad. You know, especially if you're trying to fight things. A lot of times you want that kind of action compression where, you know, last turn there were no enemies to fight, so I kind of just got my money up and just prepared. This turn there's two enemies I really want to kill both of them, so I'm going to spend to get that extra action, you know? Even as kind of like a hybrid seeker person, he's able to use lockpicks to his to great advantage. He's able to use like intel report and things that can take advantage of him having uh, a decent amount of money from from those those aforementioned money cards to to kind of do a little bit of both. He can kind of tip into some of the stronger guardian cards for assistance with clue obtaining, like scene of the crime and things like that. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. So just going down those questions. So greatest strength. I would say probably his ability is is pretty strong. That's kind of his greatest strength. He he doesn't really have much else going for him, I would say, besides that. Yeah, I mean, he's got four agility, so he can be, like, okay at evading. It's harder for him to fight, uh, like, using guardian weapons, because his base combat is a three. But right. he can use the uh, the bow with his agility to be able to shoot stuff. Yeah, I agree. Greatest strength, probably extra actions. Greatest flaw, I, I kind of think his greatest flaw, honestly, is that Finn just kind of ate his lunch a little bit. Like, we'll, we'll talk about Finn later, but I think that Finn also has, you know, high agility and reasonably high intellect and combat. And Finn is kind of maybe better in, in a lot of ways. But also, you know, his signature being bad and having, like, a lot of his cards sort of oriented around... Not a lot of his cards, but... The fact that he uses guardian cards kind of makes you want to make him a, a fighter, but then he only has three strength that's been mentioned as kind of a weakness. Any any other weaknesses? I mean, obviously his willpower, but I think oh, that's yeah. the case yeah. for a lot of the rogues. Yeah, I guess so. People could read into uh, signature cards and weaknesses as much as they want to. I think that Skids' uh, weakness is not the worst. Earning two less experience is kind of bad in the way that you do kind of want like more expensive things. If you want to do like more fighting, you want to get... The bow probably would be really good, the ornate bow, which requires a considerable amount of experience, but it's not a cover-up. You know, it's not going to give you mental trauma, which would really impact the yeah. way that you play the game. I mean, rogues are pretty heavy on experience, right? but he could just get the obol, and then that like cancels out the debts, and as long as he doesn't die, then it's fine. So. And that's what On the Lem is for. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I guess so. Um, so moving on, so the, the kind of role that he can play, I mean, I think this is kind of the weakness, is like... What role does he really play? Because the bottom line is he's not great at getting clues and he's not kind of obviously he's not really great at fighting enemies. You can either do kind of an evasion build if you're doing like a solo deck or in in a group play, I guess you could go for the bow and fight things that way. But I other than that, it's kind of hard to see like what role he kind of fits in a group, right? Yeah, like primary fighter or like a generalist using money, both can kind of work for him. I guess like as a generalist, like I think there's other rogues that could probably do that better but you could maybe do some kind of a thing where you're playing like lock picks and then you're also playing i don't know what one-handed weapon you'd play to kind of balance it out but it's at least theoretically possible you could do that yeah like a switchblade or the enchanted blade or something yeah Sterringer or 45 there's there's a decent amount of options and uh so favorite cards so we've already mentioned the ornate bow we also mentioned most of the money cards i think any card that gives you money and also any card that kind of rewards you for having money is like a decent thing to play in skids yeah anything else haste a new new card that i think is absolutely great for a lot of people haste combined with leo combined with things like quick thinking gets you a lot of actions pretty quickly uh upgraded derringers might be a consideration if you want to try and go the the combat build 
and try and take a bunch of extra actions. Don't forget, uh, don't forget you handle this one for when uh, he draws a will's test. Agree with everything you just said, but I think that Tony, another investigator we're going to talk about later, is just better with all those cards, which is kind of the problem with Skids. Yeah. I think I think we can we can get into them when we get there, but I think that generally I think Skids is an okay investigator on his own, but maybe not so much in a group setting. On the other hand, okay, so here's where here's where Skids is really going to shine. So the final question: What movie would Skids star in? For this one, we uh, I, I wanted to pick Miller's Crossing, which is a fantastic movie by the Coen Brothers about Irish gangsters in twenties ish, plus or minus a few years. But it's a very, very good movie, and it's kind of, I guess, peripherally about, uh, you know, crimes and various crime actions that occur. So, you know, that's kind of Skids. He's an ex-con, right? And he's Irish, probably. It's about, like, warring gangs or something, right? And he's kind of, like, trying to pick sides while not necessarily picking sides. Kind of like there's a morality thing involved. Yeah, that's pretty much what Miller's Crossing is all about. And uh, actually, I mean, do we, is he actually Irish? I mean, like, Skids is not his real name. Maybe O'Toole is, like, an alias, too. We, we don't even know. Yeah. Oh, oh, anything. Oh, oh, Shaughnessy. Oh, Hennessy. Oh, O'Toole. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if he's meant to look like Peter O'Toole. I don't think he looks that much like him, but maybe they're kind of going for that. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, anything more to say about Skids, or should we move on to our next investigator? Uh, Skids will forever be on the lam and lost in time and space. Travel well, Skids. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't think any of us has played Skids in a campaign in a very long time, and uh, maybe we'll change that at some point, or maybe not. <laughs> Probably not. All right, let's uh, move on to the next rogue. Uh, we got Jenny Barnes, the dilettante. She has a three in nope, all her. Nope, well, definitely not. Nope, that's <laughs> nope. Not you're going to redo that. It's just dilettante. Dilettante. I'm definitely leaving. This Why in. is there an e at the end? Because it's French. Because languages. French people can do all the fucked up things with language. But, but this is English, though. Or is it? No. Okay, fine. The next investigator <laughs> is Jenny Barnes, the dilettante. She has a three in all her stats. Uh, and her ability is she gets one extra money or one extra resource uh, during upkeep. Uh, her deck building is all rogue cards, uh, plus she gets five level zero cards from any other class. Her signature card are her twin 45s. It's a two-handed weapon that has ammo on it based on how much money she pays to put it into play. And there's no limit on that. And her weakness is searching for Izzy. Her sister is missing. Uh, this is a card that goes into play. Uh, you have to go to go to the location, investigate to get rid of it, and if you fail to get rid of it by the end of the game, uh, you take a mental trauma. And then there are also alternate cards too, right? Oh yeah, uh, she had a novella come out. So her alternate cards are the Green Man Medallion. It's a next slot item that you can spend money. Once per turn, you can spend you can put resources on it and exhaust it. And at the end of the game, depending on how much resources you have, you get extra experience. Or no, no, I guess it's not as good as that, but you effectively get extra experience. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. the weakness is the Sacrificial Beast, which is a monster that stops her from gaining resources from card effects, including herself. Oh, no. Uh, until it is dealt with. Both of, them are, both of those alt cards are kind of bad, so I was not going to really talk about them too much. But um, Yeah, so Jenny, uh, the original rich rogue, average at everything. Yeah, very, I mean, very kind of symmetrical, you know, symmetrical stats, very like jack-of-all-trades. I think that, um, you know, you can definitely have decks that are kind of good at both getting clues and dealing with monsters that are kind of flexible, and we we make decks like that a lot and play them a lot, but I think that this isn't really the way that you want to go about it, and that it's just, it's usually better to play a character that's kind of focusing on two or even three stats instead of four, if possible, or, or one in the case of, like, Mystics. It's just really hard to kind of 
be able to use all four of your stats effectively. Yeah, I mean, there's cards that she could buy or put in her deck that let her spend money to boost all of her stats. And obviously now there's a lot more cards that you can convert money into doing useful things. So maybe like, oh, I can get intel reports, so I don't need to investigate as much or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's definitely harder to build any type of focused role for her. Yeah, the favors definitely did a really good job at at boosting rogues, just in general, like leveraging money to to their advantage. And I think that Jenny has one of the one of the best ways to get consistent resources. Looking to things like Streetwise and the talents are are a good way, considering she has that flexibility of using the Dunwich Five to her advantage would be a pretty good idea. Yeah, I mean, just getting basically twice as much money every turn as everyone else is is pretty great. And there are cards, even looking at like um, Lola Santiago or whatever, like there, there's definitely just cards that you can pay that money into to do really cool stuff. Right. Also, we should mention um, the twin 45s. That's a really solid weapon, right? Yeah, like sure. it's like a better 45 kind of, because if you play it for like four resources, you get four bullets and it gives you plus two combat instead of plus one. The thing that's really difficult about it is obviously taking up two hand slots is rough, especially if you were considering using something like lockpicks. That's kind of the same issue that we see for like almost all these rogues because they all maybe want to use lockpicks or they maybe want to use the bow or the Thompson or something. So that's kind of a problem. And then also just the fact that you only get one of them in your deck just makes it hard to rely on. Um, it's one of the cases where like your signature card's pretty good, but it's just unfortunate that in a lot of games, you're not going to see it until the end. Especially if you don't have any kind of way to draw cards, which I don't really think Jenny has any way to like draw a ton of cards. Well, she has access to Lucky Cigarette Case. Yeah, but she she's not as good at like succeeding by a lot as somebody that has like a five in one of their stats. Yeah, or four even. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. She can yeah. only use her off slots to get something to help her card draw. You know, she can get Mr. Rook. Yeah. Or, or or she could even or she could even get like drawing thin or something if she really wanted to. What is Jenny's greatest strength? Her strength is having money and being able to convert that money into useful things right yeah i i think that's right she's literally average at everything else so like it, it's really hard it's honestly really hard to claim her three and everything as like a strength unless maybe you're playing solo in a group that's honestly just kind of a bad way to allocate stats but getting too money every turn is great in any situation yeah i mean she'd be a decent fighter i guess too she has the guns, which makes her lean slightly towards fighter, I guess. But I think that's kind of true. I've just, I've, I mean, there's a lot more cards have been released since then. But last time I tried that, it's just really hard to be a successful fighter when you're starting with a three combat. Yeah, I think that the way that she naturally synergizes with money is like kind of her biggest strength, and in that way, things like Lone Wolf and Watch This, where you can kind of get it from doing a skill test or just kind of passively accrue even more money, are really good for her, and she more than most investigators just converts money to raw stats you're using like streetwise and you're using like um, physical training and things like that to just convert your money into pumping it to five temporarily for a test or six or something like that for a turn in that way it's not necessarily like resource efficient because while you might be able to succeed by two for a lucky cigarette case draw you're still like committing like three or four resources every turn to do that so you're not actually generating excess resources to use for you know when you need it later yeah for sure so um i think we talked about her flaw already like her you know being average at everything is kind of a weakness in multiplayer yeah and i would add to that that kind of like we said that maybe one of skid's flaws is that another investigator came out later that was sort of the same but probably better i think you can kind of say the same thing about jenny where preston is a similar style of deck but probably better yeah. So what kind of role can Jenny play 
in a group or, or on her own? What, what do you guys think? I think that honestly, her greatest strength rolled into what role does she play is that she's incredible in solo. She's proven time and time again to be very self-sufficient. When she gets a lone wolf down, she's just getting three money every turn. And that is so much money to to have to spend three or four actions a turn. You get Leo out and you can do so much with a ton of money, only having to succeed at a certain amount of tests, only having to get like two to four clues every act. It feels very, very good. She's she's also, uh, we saw this when you did that um, League of Nerds try hard Dunwich challenge or whatever that uh she's the only character that can both take adaptable and has access to all level zero cards right so there's a tremendous ability that we probably should have mentioned that as a strength but she has a tremendous ability to just swap in two cards of any color every turn right there right. every every scenario so you can really if you played a campaign before you can really like laser focus on particular scenarios and say i want like waylays in this scenario or right something right like that. Yeah, handcuffs whatever and I think that's especially good in solo. So that just adds to her being probably actually a very good solo character, or at least potentially a good solo character. Yeah. And in, in groups, much worse, but probably more of like a generalist than any particular focus, right. I think. Right, yeah. Yeah. What are some of her favorite cards? We've mentioned money cards and cards that uh, you can spend money to increase your stats. Dane mentioned a couple times, like Streetwise. Anything else that's really good for Jenny? I think uh, Lola Santiago, basically anything that you can spend money to do stuff with. Yeah, yeah. And she's also like her, she's almost kind of, I guess she's not quite in the Calvin zone where she wants to play cards that like temporarily increase her base stat for something to five for a turn or for a test. Because like, it's not that big an increase for her, but. Yeah, I mean, those are mostly survivor cards anyway, so she'd have to use her off slots. It's it's kind of just like, I don't know, things that can get around the fact that she doesn't really have a high enough stat in anything to be like inherently good at it. Maybe, I don't know. All right, what what movie is it? What are we doing? Uh, we this was a really tough one. You've delved into your vast knowledge of all movies, <laughs> and what you did chosen. I had I had for, no uh, say for this. Jenny. Well, yeah, exactly. What what did I chosen for uh, for Jenny Barnes? No, I mean th- this was really tough because we were joking that for most of these investigators, we know basically two things about them: like what is their job, and how did they get involved in running away from scary things and trying to solve crimes. <laughs> and in Jenny's case. Her job is that she's a rich lady, and how she got involved in this stuff is that her sister disappeared and is kidnapped. And we were trying to think of, like, oh, what are movies where someone's, like, looking for their sister? Uh, There are not very many of them. But uh, we thought of uh, a little-known movie that a few people have seen called Frozen that came out a few years ago. Um, It's pretty obscure. (laughs) I don't don't think people know it very well, but uh, it's got sisters in it, and... uh, you know, that's that's the best we can do. Sorry, these aren't all going to be perfect, amazing. They're, they're rich sisters, and one of them goes missing, and the other one has to go find yeah, them. Yeah, they're, they're rich in kind of like a feudal, medieval way. And yeah, exactly. Like, I think at one point in that movie, which I saw several years ago, I think one of the sisters is looking for the other sister. So <laughs> Perfect. Uh, again, these aren't all going to be amazing. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> there were movies like Gone and Gone Girl. <laughs> that involved with people being missing and looking for them. Yep, all that kind of stuff. But none of them were specifically sisters that were particularly affluent when looking for each other. So this is probably the most well-known one. And maybe if you have kids, you could go see it. But if they have kids, they've definitely already seen Frozen a hundred times. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> maybe maybe it's horrific enough to be considered in this list. Maybe then. maybe Frozen Two is like scarier and more appropriate. I haven't seen it. Uh, whatever. Um, so who, who knows? Uh, Tangled actually. Tangled's a pretty good movie. Frozen I don't think is very good, but Tangled Tangled's worth watching. The next investigator is Safina Rousseau, the painter. She's an artist. 
She has a very interesting mechanic where uh, at the beginning of the game, you draw 13 cards instead of your regular five. You pick five of them and you put them behind her as cards that you can access in a very special way. She has an abnormal deck size of 33, but I think that that's mostly due to her ability to draw 13 cards at the beginning of the game to kind of kickstart her her going. Her play is revolved around events in a way that her signature card incorporates, where she has a card called the Painted World. It essentially can act as a copy of an event that's placed under Safina. So she has those five events, hopefully, under her, and she can use each copy of the Painted World, I believe she gets three copies of it, as copies of, of, of those events. So she has the most consistency in terms of being able to play events and wanting to base her strategy around events. Her weakness just kind of penalizes her for having things behind her card. It kind of removes them from the game. That way she it kind of penalizes her in that way. And if she can't, she takes a damage and a horror. So um, it keeps coming back and eventually stops. But she is different from these investigators, other rogues in a lot of ways, because of the fact that she's not necessarily based off of money, nor is she necessarily based off of succeeding by a lot. Um, she kind of has a unique role in in the game so far, I think, which is that she has a very special connection to events. Yeah, she, she loves her events. Uh, she also is like the only rogue that has good willpower. Right, yeah. <laughs> That is true. We should mention she takes rogue cards, uh, yeah, level 5, and mystic cards um, is kind of her subclass, but really her stats, she's got 4 in will and 4 agility, are really like the main players here. And I think that, generally speaking, you can use spells to great advantage when you play her. That's one thing that I do like about her, is that she has off-class mystic, and she feels like she's actually well-suited to using those cards because of her high willpower. Uh, unlike somebody like Skids, who has the Guardian off class but doesn't really have the stats to take full advantage of it, Safina really is kind of straddling the line between rogues and mystics. So yeah, so so Dane mentioned you really want to go heavy on events with her because you definitely want to have five events in your opening hand, which kind of leads you in a certain direction. Um, obviously, that you know, as more events have been released in the game, that kind of just keeps getting better and better for her. She also, she can use spells, so you can play, I mean, because she's a mystic, she has access to them, but she has a high enough will that you actually can play things like Shriveling or Rite of Seeking or Sixth Sense in Safina if you want to. So you can kind of balance Safina in various ways between like, you know, do you want to play money cards? Do you want to play like agility cards? Do you want to play like spells and willpower cards? As long as you're playing a lot of events, you can do a lot of different stuff. As a rogue, she has access to the money cards to help pay with those events. Like that's really the increase in money cards there which a lot of which are events uh help like fund your cycle yeah it especially the the dream is like if you're opening if in your opening hand you manage to put like an upgraded word of protection and like a hot streak under her card and then from then on whenever you draw a painted world it's like well do i need to ward something or do i need money and you can just kind of choose like that is very powerful yeah exactly and now there's just so many more options for what you can put behind her she's got a great versatility in terms of that i think that both when talking about her greatest strength, both the rogue class and the mystic class are commonly referred to as kind of like jacks of all trades in a lot of ways. Like they can be versatile in the way that they can kind of get some clues and also do some fighting. She kind of has that combination of both. So she can go with really heavy hitting spells that cost a lot more and be able to afford them while also being able to afford to take 
things that can boost her even further, like Leo DeLuca and taking advantage of like raw actions, like even later taking Double Double for like one of the most coolest cards to come out for her archetype. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I I think um, another major strength that has already been mentioned is just, so having high willpower makes her kind of almost unique among uh, rogues, but having both four willpower and four agility, like Wendy, another character that I really like, she's just very resilient to encounter cards because of those high stats. So she's good at kind of staying alive and not getting slowed down by treacheries. And um, she can also, if she's able to boost those stats, she can play like Cigarette Case and just get free draws off of beating will tests out of the encounter deck. So I think that's a really good strength as well. Yeah, as for weaknesses, she is dependent on being able to use her cards. Yes. uh, Because she doesn't have good combat or intellect, so she can't really do natural uh, fight or investigate checks. Yeah, when I I played her in our blind run through Carcosa, and I found that how effective you could be in a scenario and how much fun you'd have in a scenario was very dependent on your opening hand. Because (laughs) if you got the right cards in your opening hands, you could get off to a great start and have fun. And if you didn't, you were just going to be kind of sitting there discarding cards, hoping to draw things that would be useful. So that kind of sucks. Her five health is also kind of a liability. Five is always kind of like a very scary place to start you can kind of take like one one unfortunate hit for like an auto fail for like a um, grasping hands or something like that and then you're really in the danger zone and you really need to like think about she has to know existence you know that is true yeah so. th- that was a huge boon to a lot of people she really needs it though she really needs like that and ward to keep herself from dying probably yeah unless there's some kind of other shenanigans going on right right I guess overall what I would say for weaknesses is just kind of like what I mentioned, like she's, she's a little bit clunky. Like she feels like she's a little bit difficult to kind of get started and get going well. Cause if you're playing an event heavy deck, you need to need the right balance between events that give you money and events that cost money. Cause events tend to cost a lot. So it's, it's kind of like a, it feels like a little bit of like Rube Goldberg machine a little bit, but it can be fun and it can work pretty well. I think if you set it up, right. Yeah, exactly. So I think talking about setting things up right for her, what kind of role does she play? I think she definitely is a versatile like all-arounder. I don't think she can individually go hard on being a, a core clue getter or being a fighter for any any group in a very big specific way because of the just the nature of having to have events at the right times. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that it, it, it's not a great idea to try to specialize her too much. I think that she's naturally kind of a hybrid. Do you think, I mean, so in groups, that's certainly true. Is she a decent solo character? Has anybody tried to play her on solo or seen someone else do it? I think a lot of the time all rogues are just kind of a step a step ahead of a lot of a lot of investigators in a lot of ways just because of the accessibility of their card pool and the fact that they're kind of jacks of all trades. And Graham published a pretty good article about it a while ago talking about like why they're so good at all arounding and why that's important for solo. But I think that generally that's the case. I think that Safina, since she does have that four in agility, she can take care of herself, even though it's not necessarily killing enemies all the time. You can still use things like now you have the Spectral Blade, you have Storm of Spirits. Yeah, kind of on that topic, moving into talking about um, her favorite cards. So I think some new events that have been released recently, like Read the Bones, which helps her get more clues, and uh, Spectral Blade, which helps her, you know, fight more. I think that those really help her out a lot because that that just kind of increases the amount of events that are available to her that are like good events that she wants to play 
by kind of a lot. So I think that really any event that lets her use her agility or willpower to either get clues or kill enemies is probably a pretty good card for her. Yeah, I agree. Uh, any any other cards that are especially good for Safina? Uh, double Double is definitely the one that I wanted to mention because <laughs> Double Double kind of oh, like yeah. pushes her to the extreme where if you have cards like things like level four hot streak and easy marks that can kind of quickly boost you to having a critical threshold of of resources that you can take advantage of like double doubling all the favors for example are a really good thing like double doubling an intel report is just like would have a huge impact on you know if you're playing a two-player or three-player game or something like that being able to get a, a ton of clues in a turn especially like um things that have tests where you could like use double or nothing on in those kinds of ways would be really cool she has a lot of interesting accessibility with with double double that should be explored i think and so last question uh what movie would she star in uh we were trying to think of a movie that's sort of about a, a, like a spooky movie about an artist and uh there was a recent netflix movie that came out just last year called the velvet buzzsaw uh which is kind of like a sort of like a, a weird gory thriller or sort of kind of a horror movie about um this like cursed artist whose paintings uh, like curse the people who buy and sell them and uh there's like monsters and ghosts and stuff that try to kill people who are like buying these paintings I don't know if I would say it's an excellent movie, but it's a kind of a fun one, and it has like Jake Gyllenhaal in it, who's really good. The title drew me in. It is a it, it, the title really does grab you, um, but it's definitely a cool movie that's like probably worth checking out. And it's you know if you have Netflix, which most people do, it's on Netflix. So uh, on to our next investigator. Yes. Okay. Uh, the next investigator is Finn Edwards, the bootlegger, who has uh, one willpower. Wow. Uh, four <laughs> intellect, three combat, and four agility. Uh, so he gets to take an additional action each turn, but he can only use it to evade. And for his deck uh, building, he gets world cards only up to level three. What? And then he gets up to five level zero seeker and or survivor cards. And that's it. Oh, and he gets illicit cards level zero to five, which is, you know, so he kind of doesn't get access to the full rogue card pool. He can't play level four or five non-illicit cards, uh, which is really weird if you think about it, because he like... If they're illegal, he can play them, but if they're legal, he can't. Like, if someone passed a law, you know, banning Hot Streak, then he would be able to play it. I don't know. It doesn't make <laughs> sense to me. Anyway, his signature card is called Smuggled Goods, uh, which is an event that lets him search his discard pile or the top nine cards of his deck for an illicit card and draw it. I don't think it's super important. I guess it's fine. Sometimes there aren't really enough illicit cards for it to really matter, usually. He also has a gun, Finn's Trusty 38, which is a reasonably good gun which does extra damage if the attack if the attacked enemy is not engaged with you and then his weakness is called caught red-handed which readies enemies at your location or connecting location and then if they're hunters they move towards you and then it might get shuffled back into your deck if it doesn't do anything uh very annoying it, it weirdly sometimes turns into this thing that you actually like really need to pay attention to because it has the possibility of like readying the boss that you're trying to evade and run away from and like having it chase you right at the end of the scenario when you're like about to win. So I would maybe classify it as kind of up there with like dark memory and stuff where it's a weakness that you really have to care about and pay attention to. Yeah, I think this is one of the first weaknesses that got shuffled into its deck if the like requisite horrible thing didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Which also made it very scary. It's kind of like Rex's weakness where it's like you yeah, you keep drawing it until it actually makes something annoying happen. Yeah. So yeah. 
But Finn, uh, Finn, I know when it first came out, you know, we were very kind of down on him because of that one willpower. And I don't think we were entirely wrong because that is a huge weakness in a lot of situations. For example, literally every part of the circle undone. Don't, don't, don't play him there. Yeah. It's because he even, this was the same box where we got, uh, you handle this one. And it was almost like sending a message like, you are never going to pass will tests. You are going to have to rely on your two copies of you handle this one to anytime you draw will treachery to shove it onto somebody else. Right. But I do think that he has this good mix of stats where, like, having high uh, agility and intellect is just really good. He can be a pretty good kind of, like, 75% clue getter, 25% do agility stuff kind of a guy. Like, having high intellect is just really good because it includes is really good, right? Yeah, so I guess we can kind of just move into his strengths. I think that that's one of his huge strengths. When when combined with his deck building, five level zero seeker and or survivor cards should not be underestimated because some of those cards are absolutely incredible and he can take like magnifying glasses to boost his clue nabbing he can get drawing thin shortcuts to yeah to to boost his action efficiency drawing thin he can get track shoes milan he can get rook he can get track shoes yeah all these things that make him just really versatile in the same way that Jenny can get adaptable and switch in a lot of things. Finn has a really good toolkit involved where he can take two adaptables and constantly be switching out like waylays for track shoes or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he's really versatile in that way. And he can definitely take extremely good use of his his extra action to evade. That is absolutely one of his best assets because when you have like level two pickpocketings and cigarette case on him, it's absolutely disgusting how many actions come off of that that like ghost fin action. It's unbelievably good. Yeah, that's definitely true. So strengths, uh, access to seeker cards and to a lesser extent survivor cards intellect means that he out of all of the rogues we've talked about he is the one that is the closest to being like a primary clue getter just because having the four intellect is kind of what you need to be able to like hit the ground running on turn one and start getting clues so that's really cool and as dane mentioned being able to evade stuff for free like we often try to tell people not to kind of go all in on like oh yeah i'm going to play an evasion deck like evading is great but it's not usually something that you want to build an entire deck around but finn is set up really well to like evade for free without really having to sacrifice anything which is a nice ability if you're not giving anything up for it so much of the time it turns into evade a guy proc lucky cigarette case get your pickpocketing level twos going yeah and you just draw like three cards gain two resources you find your leo you get even more actions you just get to like get so many clues and now with the advent of haste you even get more yeah, or maybe you like waylay or sneak attack or something after you like evaded something without spending an action. Um, so for weaknesses, I mean, the, we already mentioned it, but the one willpower is just absolutely horrible. Yeah, definitely. Just absolutely never play Finn in Circle Undone. Just literally, like, <laughs> if you're gonna play Circle Undone, pick somebody else. Just you're not gonna you're not gonna have a good time. Or or at least play like Drawing Finn, Take Heart, and Rabbit's Foot or something. You know. Yeah. You can always throw in logical reasonings to help get rid of some of those cards. Oh, wait, no, no, none of those are terrors. None of them they? are terrors. They're all hexes. <laughs> Never mind. Well, no, he just evades a witch, and he can get rid of them. Yeah, it's not it's not super terrible. It's just the it's the ones that like when you fail the will test, it uh goes gets attached to the agenda deck or whatever. Those are all yeah. There, there's just so <laughs> many that are like test will five, and for each point you fail by take a horror or something. It's yeah, yeah. So so that's a weakness. I think also it's weird that he has two signature cards, and neither of them really does very much. Like the gun is like decent, but it it really only 
I just think that most of the time in a group setting, you, you don't really want to fight things as Finn. You want to get clues or evade things. So I kind of have a rebuttal to that because I just started playing Return to Carcosa with Finn as the primary fighter. Ooh. And he can get the ornate bow and now he has access to haste. I'm using the the uh, whiskey bottle, the, the Tennessee Sour Mash, the upgraded Tennessee Sour Mash, which is actually kind of fun because that and pickpocketing are your cards for that are illicit. So you can actually like if you really need to, you can you can commit them or you can smash the Tennessee Sour Mash over somebody's head and then get it back later with smuggled goods. So it's a little more accessible in that way. But I think that Finn's Trusty 38 is actually more of a hindrance for me in that way because you're using agility for pretty much everything and you don't ever necessarily need to use strength. Yeah, like it's, I mean, you do get the plus two, but it, you also like have to evade. So it's kind of like you have to both evade something, which you get to do for free, fine. But then like if you evaded it, why not just move away from it or way late or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but no, I mean, maybe you're right about smuggling goods. It's nice that it is free. It doesn't cost anything. You just, I I usually find that I don't really have enough illicit cards in my deck that it is super good, but that, that can always change depending on what your deck is set up like. Yeah, I think Finn is very much an Achilles kind of person where like his Achilles heel is his will. Other than that, I think he's a pretty solid per- investigator. Yeah, and and lastly, we already mentioned it, so I don't want to go too far into it, but his weakness is pretty annoying. It can get you into these weird situations where you're like, okay, Finn, don't draw any cards off your cigarette case this turn because we really, really need you to not draw caught red-handed. Or <laughs> please draw as many cards as possible because we really want you to get caught red-handed out of the way this turn because next turn it would be really bad. There's all kinds of situations like that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what kind of roles can they play in a group or on their own? I think we've talked about this. Uh, lots of clues, a little bit of evading is, is mostly pretty good. Uh, or Dane mentioned playing a, like, uh, ornate bow Finn that can be more of like a fighter. I think his natural spot is kind of like a hybridish character in groups or maybe a solo character. Solo character is difficult. Having one will and, and not being able to use you handle this <laughs> is just so horrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You really need somebody to shove those like rotting remains. Oh yeah, you do. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. And then, uh, so favorite cards. So Dane already mentioned, um, the lucky cigarette case, which is really just a great card for most rogues, um, or mostly good rogues and pickpocketing, which is especially great for Finn. When our, our friend Colin played Finn through, was that Carcosa or something? Was, I, I don't uh, know, I the Forgotten Age. Oh yeah. Forgotten Age. We, we used to joke that he would have like an evade buddy. He would just find one of the like vengeance snakes or whatever that he would, <laughs> he would basically like follow him around every turn. He would use his free fin action to evade it and just get the money and cards off of pickpocketing level two, which is fantastic. Like that's, that's really great. So pickpocketing level two is great. Any other really great fin cards? Uh, honestly, adaptable yeah. for me. Adaptable has been the most fun card to play in fin because of those five other class slots. He's almost to the level of Jenny and not quite being able to get guardian cards, but like everything he cares about is in, is in like track shoes, waylays, things like that. Swapping out the, the right card at the right time is so, so fulfilling. And uh, I would, I would also just throw in there also maybe, um, maybe a uh, slip away also is, is a pretty good fin card. So, uh, in ter- what what movie would Finn star in? So what what movie did we pick for Finn? So we picked this movie called The Roaring Twenties, which which none of us has seen. We should mention. So this is a movie starring James Cagney from the late thirties, which when it came out was kind of like a throwback to gangster movies from like the early thirties. Uh, we have not seen it, but we saw the trailer and we read about it, and it seems like it is a, a really good nineteen twenties guys doing crime stuff kind of a movie from not too late after that actually happened. Seems like it's a, you know, there's a lot of bootlegging going on, which is obviously Finn's thing. So 
I'm going to try to check this out to try to, you know, get a little bit of a Finn action going. Yeah, same. You could absolutely see James Cagney as a Finn too, right? Yeah, definitely. So if you enjoy if you enjoy Finn, uh, check out this movie and uh, let us let us know what you think. The Roaring Twenties. All right, so the next rogue is Preston Fairmont, the millionaire. He has a one in all the stats. <laughs> Better than Calvin. And anytime he would gain money or gain resources from a card effect, they instead go on his family inheritance, which we'll talk about in a second. His deck building is uh, rogue cards and Survivor 0-2. to two. Oh, and he's not allowed to have any illicit cards because rich people cannot commit crimes. Except white-collar crimes. So... <laughs> uh, his uh, signature card is Family Inheritance. It's a card that starts in play at the beginning of the game. Uh, as an action, you can move all the resources from this card to your resource pool. And then at the beginning of each round, you put four resources on this card that you can spend as if they were in your resource pool. Uh, and then they go away at the end of your turn. Uh, and his weakness is Lodge Debts. It's a 10 cost of weakness. Its only effect is it gets removed from the game. But if it's still in your hand at the end of the game... Uh, or when you get eliminated, you take a mental trauma. So it's something you have to spend a bunch of money on to get rid of. So the way that the inheritance really works is you basically get four resources per turn, but you don't get to kind of accumulate it. It stays on this like temporary pool of money that you can spend, but you don't actually get to like take it and add it to your pool unless you spend an action. And right. any money that you get from other cards, like playing an emergency cash, also goes on to that inheritance. Right, so it makes it hard for him to hold on to his money unless he actually has to invest in it. That's kind of okay, because uh, he's access to a lot of expensive events, and he can easily use up that four buddy every turn uh, to do powerful effects with events. Um, or if he wants to spend money on like skill boost cards to boost up his skills to make them, you know, usable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which he which he really needs to do, right? Like he's he's in a situation like you know Calvin, where his stats are so low because you're supposed to have some way to boost them. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think that Preston inhabits a really cool space where he can kind of lean into his survivor side for the while that he isn't set up with all of his assets and allies, where he's really good at failing all the time for a little while. And then <laughs> as he accrues money, as he gets his resources connections, he's got Leo DeLuca to help him pool that money away. He's got uh, Lola Santiago to help him get scoop up clues, pay her, go get some things. He's got access to Miss Doyle, who is able to temporarily boost him in stats, like to a very in a very great way. Before he gets those, he kind of has to rely on raw luck, like lucky and look what I found, and a lot of like the the very common, just strong survivor cards until he can get his well connected out and he can get all of his money boosted up to a critical mass, so that he can start using taking great advantage of those really good aforementioned allies. Right, because if you can just get well connected out and have like twenty resources, then you're just in really great shape. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's also we often see people playing um, like dark horse and fire axe with him because you kind of uh, you get a lot of money, but it doesn't go straight into his pool; it goes onto this card. You can kind of be like poor uh, if you want to be, and that turns on your dark horse and stuff. So people like to do that sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I think that where. Jenny is kind of like the queen, so to speak, of money in that in Solo she's incredibly good with just generating a raw amount of cash. 
Preston is very much the king, I think, because he just generates so much money. If you can reliably put that away every turn just using, like, your Leo action to do so, he just crews money at an insane rate. He starts with nine at the beginning of the game. If you get, like, another day, another dollar, he just starts with an even more ridiculous amount at the beginning of the game to help set up and everything. So he can use Lucky Cigarette Case to great effect later in the game, use, like, things like Rabbit's Foot and Take Heart in the early game to kind of get himself started. Yeah. So I think, um, I, I think, yeah, his greatest strength is just the huge amount of money that he has access to, which lets him play expensive events or accumulate it to turn on cards like, you know, well connected and stuff. So that's really good. And I, I think that just, uh, if you just look at his actual cards, really the only thing like on these actual cards for him that makes him really good is that money because his stats aren't really good. His ability is basically just that family inheritance works. So like his signature card and his ability are like kind of the same thing. I guess we could also mention that having survivors in off class is pretty good because as Dane mentioned, he can play the like fail package of like, um, rabbit's foot and stuff so that maybe if he doesn't want to spend money to boost the test, he can just fail it on purpose and draw a card, which is pretty good. Yeah, exactly. So we kind of already listed all of his strengths as far as his weakness go. Definitely not getting the things in the right order, <laughs> I think, is easily the the most horrible thing that could happen for him. Not getting Leo at all in a game is so unbelievably crippling for Preston, I think, because suddenly you only have two actions at a turn if you want to start saving money, and it, it feels absolutely miserable. Yeah. I uh, I would also add just this kind of, like, standard... I, I think this is the flaw that a lot of the kind of, like, puzzle characters have, and also a lot of survivors and rogues have, which is that... They, you know, you can boost its stats really high, like Calvin, to eventually pass a lot of tests. But ultimately, passing passing tests is nice, but it's not quite as good as maybe just, like, being able to do more in a turn or more in an action. So I think that compared to uh, compared to some other characters, I think he kind of falls into that trap a little bit. But I don't. that's not, like, a huge weakness, I guess. Yeah, unlike the other rogues, he doesn't favor uh, getting a bunch of extra action cards, I don't think. Right, yeah. The only one... The aforementioned Leo to Luca to help store his money, but... Yeah, I mean, I would also mention that Haste, I think because activating family inheritance is an activation action, if you also are using weapons and stuff, then it kind of combos well with that. <laughs> you just blew Dane's mind. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I mean, it, it is, That's right? actually so... fantastic, yeah. No, that's that's definitely worth mentioning. Roles, can they play in a group or on their own? So... I think in a group, I think Ben has played Preston in some games that I was present for, and I think some of those games you were kind of going for more of like a murdery fire axe build, and other games you went for like more of a, a flexible build that could do clues or monsters. Did those both seem kind of viable, or was one better than the other? The murder axe build seemed like it was pretty all right, and I, yeah, they both they both kind of worked. I think I could have made slightly bigger decks, but I think he definitely can fulfill those roles. But you probably can't do like a full clue, full seeker version of Preston, right? I wouldn't think. It's a little bit harder. I think if once you get enough money built up, then you can like use lockpicks and Streetwise or something. Lola Santiago, yeah. I ran uh, through a two-person Dunwich, Return to Dunwich with Preston and Jenny. And Preston is confirmed, I think, very strong at getting clues because of the fact that he has Survivor off class. Um, he can okay. he can run like really low to the round with with their really strong effects like using winging its and like discarding them to like cornered or something like that early on and then get moving into using intel reports to great effect uh you could even get double double intel reports things like that because he has so much money he can take advantage of that kind of thing he has like so much accessibility lola gets just a clue every single turn which is just so consistently good because you just have so much money streetwise also helping out 
And then is, is, so is he a decent solo character? Do we think solo Preston? I think the jury is out. I have not honestly tried him. I think that he could be depending on what happens. I don't know. I think it might be like Calvin where if you can survive the first couple scenarios and get XP. Yeah. He kind of has to get set up. I think. Yeah, he he has to get set up in the campaign and in individual scenarios. So maybe like not a maybe not an amazing solo character, but maybe a fun challenge kind of. Sure, sure. Favorite cards? We mentioned this. Really, anything that costs money but is good. So the the services like Decoy and Intel Report are like the best Preston cards. Haste seems pretty good for him. Maybe Fireaxe and Dark Horse if you want to go that direction, or if in any case, if not, probably like well connected and money talks. Any any others? Uh, charisma and allies, namely Leo De Luca, Lola Santiago, and Miss Doyle are like all stars for him. Miss Doyle and what's the one with Seth on it? Uh, Trial by Fire or something. Yes. Yeah, so the survivor cards that let you boost your stats to like five for a turn or whatever. Those are fantastic for him. Or yeah. Rise to the Occasion or something like that. Yes. They're basically Calvin cards, like a lot of Calvin cards that are red or green and that are not and maybe not spirits uh are things that preston can maybe benefit from yeah they definitely help you get off the ground and they're great yeah and uh what movie would preston star in uh i mean there's a lot of movies about rich dudes right so we kind of thought about a lot of those the one that we picked because he his family has this background where they're they're part of the silver twilight lodge is uh kubrick's eyes wide shut because it's a uh, kind of a kind of a weird sort of creepy movie about a secret society kind of. Dane, you've seen this movie, right? Is this a good fit for Preston? Yeah, it's actually kind of a cool movie where Tom Cruise is the main character and Nicole Kidman. There's some strange happenings when people get so rich they don't know what to do with their money, so they like <laughs> <laughs> convene in these really weird cults and like weird weird just weird shit happens, man. Like you just have so much money you don't know what to do with it. Everything becomes like strange and political in a lot of different ways and like relationships are strained in a lot of weird ways in the movie but it's a fantastic movie and i think that preston inhabits kind of like the role of the of definitely the protagonist i um the reason i thought this was particularly good is there's a scene near the end of the movie where spoilers tom cruise is well it's not really much of a spoiler but there's a a scene where the end of the movie where tom cruise is invited into sydney pollock's like really nice swanky new york house's like living room sydney's trying to kind of convince him to like not investigate this cult anymore and just kind of let it go and it kind of illustrates like sydney pollock's character is just this like obscenely rich dude kind of like preston's family and uh i i think like the silver twilight lodges i i would really love to kind of we saw some of them in the circle undone but i would love to like see some more cards and maybe some more scenarios kind of themed around them because it's a cool little part of this universe yeah definitely so let's move on to the next rogue yeah the final rogue the final rogue the final rogue uh we've got tony morgan the bounty hunter tony morgan boasts a incredible five in combat while not not being so great on uh will or agility he is a bounty hunter, and his effect is that he may take an additional action during his turn, which can only be used to engage or fight enemies with one or more bounties on it. So he revolves around his signature card, uh, Bounty Contracts, but as far as his deck building goes, it's also kind of unique. He, he does have Rogue 0-5, to but he does have a unique decision where he chooses a secondary class at the beginning of the campaign, where at deck creation, he chooses Guardian, Seeker, or Survivor cards, and he can include up to 10 level 0 to 1 events and or skills of the chosen secondary class. So in that way, he can kind of be really flexible depending on what you want him to do. Uh, Generally speaking, he is a very strong fighter, revolving around his bounty contracts. Uh, So that's his signature asset, one of his two signature assets, actually. 
is a permanent. It uses six bounties. When an enemy enters play, you can move a certain number of bounties from bounty contracts to that enemy, and when you defeat the enemy, you get some money back from it. So he can kind of maintain an economy of his own with his bounty contracts. He also comes with two Tony's 38 Long Colts, which are a firearm uh, that gets stronger for every bounty on an enemy that you're attacking, that also allow you to put your bounties back on bounty contracts when you murder something with them. So it's kind of like a little trifecta of of murdering things and getting money for it kind of a thing. So it's kind of a cool little economy that he has going on. As far as his weakness goes, it's Tony's quarry. Comes in at the farthest location away from him. It's really annoying to get to, and it enters with doom on it. But it does have an additional bounty on it when he when he can find it. But generally speaking, it's like an ancient evils with legs. <laughs> it's really annoying to deal with. Also does uh, does two horror, which is relevant because of uh, how much sanity Tony has. Yes. Yeah, only if you go after it, though, because it is aloof. So it'll just sit there and not do anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is true. That is true. And it does never tell you or whatever. Yeah, Tony, definitely pretty interesting. Um, I mean, I think when we saw that there was a rogue with a five in one of the stats, that was definitely like a whoa kind of moment. Yeah. Because we hadn't seen that before. Yeah, I mean, Matt Newman previewed this card before the Dream Eaters came out, and we were kind of tossing up whether or not it would be relevant or whether he, he could be good. But I think after extensive playtime with him, he is super fun to play. He can take a ton of actions, and all of his greatest strengths come from the fact that he has a five in his in his uh, primary stat, which would be fight or combat. He is able to very easily succeed by a certain amount for anything. Lucky cigarette cases, quick thinkings, uh, upgraded derringers, all that kind of stuff he's able to use to super great use. His long colts kind of cement the fact that he is generally a pretty affluent investigator. Um, he's got a pretty, pretty strong uh, health and he can use you handle this one for all the horrible things that would deal with his will. He's uh, he's really in a lot of ways. I, I guess we're kind of talking about his strengths now. He is really just well set up to be like the ideal fighting rogue because he has that five in uh, combat, the same as you know Mark. He has you know because he's not allowed to pick guardian assets, even if he takes guardian as his subclass. Uh, he kind of has trouble with getting access to enough weapons, but he gets two copies of the Long Colt, which goes a long way. And the bounty contracts, just like having extra actions to spend in a turn where you're fighting things is really great, right? Because Fantastic. That, that's what makes like, the reason that Guardians are the best at fighting is really because they have access to things like Beat Cop and like Upgraded Vicious Blow. So they can just condense a ton of damage into one turn yeah. and just like quickly kill really big monsters. Tony doesn't have access to those cards, but he can get extra actions by using bounties and stuff. So he can still have those turns where he like kills an enemy that's on somebody and then moves to another location and kills another one or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And he makes use of weapons in Rogue that like for everyone else are mediocre. It's like, oh, they're combat based. But like there's a lot of Rogue weapons that before Tony, it's like, oh, that's cool. It increases their combat a little bit. So they'd have like average... <laughs> uh, like a four or five at best. Yeah, like we were talking uh, about he skins. Can go up to you know a seven. He can use like derringers. I think Dane's constantly tells me are great for him. Derringers <laughs> excellent for him. I think uh, he gets extra actions off of it as well. Yeah, very good at fighting. And uh, and and the cigarette case, which is I, I think really there's so much correlation between the rogues that we've said are like kind of good and the ones that we've said can use cigarette case. Cigarette <laughs> case is like one of the only ways to draw cards in green, and it's so good, and it's definitely really great for Tony in particular, as uh, as Dane mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that Tony just being so strong with fighting 
is so incredibly important because a lot of the time when you're a primary fighter, you're not doing really anything else. Like Mark being the chief guardian, uh, being like one of the best fighters in the game would would argue the same thing where he the only other thing he's doing other than fighting is healing himself because he uses his health for a resource tony is just taking all of his six or how many ever actions he has with leo and derringers on a turn just beating the crap out of an enemy (laughs) which feels wonderful and though it's more actions to fail on he generally won't fail because he's got such good combat Last uh, last thing I would say is having uh, it's cool that for the subclasses, kind of like Mandy, he gets up to level one. That actually makes a big difference because it means if he picks Guardian, he has access to like uh, extra ammunition. If he picks Survivor and he wants to get some clues on the side, he has access to uh, Sharp Vision and he also has access to Test of Will. So being able to it's unfortunate that he can't use assets, but having access to there are some pretty good like level one events and skills that he can take. Uh, moving on to um, weaknesses, what are what are Tony's weaknesses besides his actual weakness, which is definitely pretty bad? He's a little bit more susceptible to encounter deck because he's got low agility and willpower. Yeah, that's definitely true. So he needs to either be able to tank effects from the encounter deck or maybe put cards in his deck to help protect him a little bit. Mainly you handle this one to shove off whatever the worst thing is onto somebody else. Because uh... I feel like that the two willpower and five sanity, that's actually like worse than Skids because Skids at least has six sanity. I, are you worried, like, because you guys have both played Tony, I haven't played him yet, are there some scenarios and some encounter decks where you're just, like, as soon as you get started, you immediately take, like, two horror, and then you're just very close to death for the rest of the <laughs> game? Uh, it seems like the answer I mean, is probably yes. My experience with Tony has just been through a one run, and uh, I definitely died to horror <laughs> twice. Oh, yeah, uh, you did get owned, like, twice. I forgot about that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I didn't, didn't build enough protection of that deck from it. But, yeah, I mean, if he's subclass survivor, I think he can be a lot more protected. Than if he's like pure guardian. Yeah, he's got access to perseverance, things like that. The guardian events don't help as much. Yeah, it's too bad that he can't take um, uh, Hallowed Mirror because that'd be cool. Yeah. Any we should and we should briefly talk about his weakness. The thing that makes his weakness so bad is it spawns on the other side of the map with a doom on it, and you're probably going to draw it during upkeep or maybe like at the end of your turn if you like you, you know draw with your last action or something, which you probably shouldn't do. So it's it's just it's going to happen pretty frequently that you're going to be two doom away from the agenda advancing and then on upkeep you're going to draw your weakness and it's going to spawn on the other side of the map and put a doom on it and then during mythos phase another doom goes and you just advance the turn quicker than you thought you were going to right so that is that's just honestly extremely terrible so just be aware of that and like it can, that can just like really ruin it your is day. when that happens but if you draw it when you're not close to the agenda flipping then it's like oh whatever i'll just go kill this yeah that's true it's like not really a big problem it's not that bad or if you draw it during the witching hour then it's like oh okay i'll just ignore it yeah exactly on the on the like two percent chance that you draw it during the witching hour it's like oh well, well okay it'll just sit there for the rest of the yeah. game <laughs> yeah it's definitely bad if it has bad timing but like most of the time i think it's gonna be okay I mean, I guess I'm mostly thinking of like Essex County Express, where I think it would just be extremely <laughs> bad. Because <laughs> there's there, there's like a one in three shot. It's the witching hour. There's like a one in three shot that you're just absolutely screwed, or two and three shot basically. Yeah, you're just no, that's, completely screwed, that's true. So. There's a couple scenarios it could be pretty bad, but at, I think in general it's like not terrible. Yeah, I mean, it goes along with his role though, right? Which is definitely the fighter of a group. He's good at killing monsters, and that's exactly what this presents him with. Another thing to murder. He even gets an extra action to go kill it with, and he gets a buddy when he kills it. Yay! There you go. I do think, uh, I think he could be, with Survivor or Seeker off class, he could probably be a pretty good solo character, because he has three intellect and he can get enough cards to pick up clues. Yeah. Um, or even with Survivor, even with, like, Scene of the Crime and stuff, probably not as good, but he could if he really wanted to. 
So yeah, he seems seems like in in multiplayer certainly a fighter in solo kind of like Roland like maybe a pretty good uh hybrid uh, solo character. Yeah, I think there's definitely enough argument between taking a lot of extra actions to like murder things, he's able to, you know, quickly jump into intel reporting something or using like uh working a hunch uh, deduction things like that to three three intellect is kind of fine depending on what he can take from his other classes like you said sharp vision is a good include so he's kind of a really good all-around uh if he's going solo for favorite cards so we mentioned cigarette case we mentioned um so some weapons that are good for him like the derringers uh any any other like really favorite cards for tony uh, I've heard Switchblade level 2 is pretty good for him. It's fast, he gets it out for basically free, and he can start murdering things pretty quickly with it. Better than Derringer? No. I would say that the extra action from Derringer is actually way better, because he can just he can afford a 3 cost versus a 1 cost, and let God sort them out. Uh, let's be real. Tony Squarry provides him with a 3, three health meat puppet for murdering things and giving them a god, so pretty great. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see. My a hundred percent of my experience with let God sort them out so far has been people uh being <laughs> distracted by it to uh <laughs> really mess things up. So we'll we'll see if that if that continues. So one card I did want to mention, Swift Reload, which is a new rogue card, is absolutely fantastic for him, and it kinda of shores up his weakness of having to reload these these weapons that don't necessarily have a lot of ammo or he doesn't have a lot of time to do so because he's fighting a lot of things all the time. Swift Reload just is fantastic for to get his Derringers or Blancol going again. And uh, Daring is also a fantastic card to get him just push him over the edge of that succeed by two, three, or more. So that he just gets to an eight and he gets to draw a card also. So it's great. Yeah, that, that definitely sounds really good. And for the, the movie that we thought Tony could star in, well, he, again, we don't know too much about these guys. We basically know their jobs and maybe how they got involved with scary stuff. Uh, he's a bounty hunter. So uh, one of the most famous bounty hunter movies is Midnight Run from 1988, uh, featuring uh, Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Uh, not a whole lot to say about it. Just a really fun kind of action comedy kind of a movie like they used to make late 80s, early 90s. Um, I, I've seen it a while ago. I haven't seen it in a while. I don't think you guys have seen it, but uh, definitely, definitely check it out. Woo. If you want to, if you want to hunt some bounties and, uh, and that's it for the, that's it for the rogues, right? So we've talked about all these guys. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, uh, what about Lola? When are we, when are we going to talk about her? Can we squeeze her in? Yeah, we, because Lola, Lola doesn't fit into any of the other classes and be, we, we figured it was maybe time to work her in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to, do you want to maybe talk about Lola a little bit? All right. So Lola Hayes is a neutral investigator. Uh, she's the actress. She has a three and all her stats. Uh, and her ability is, uh, <laughs> you get to choose a role and you're only allowed to play, commit, or trigger abilities on neutral cards or the cards of your role. The role being survivor, seeker, mystic, guardian, or rogue. Uh, and then as a free trigger, she can switch a role every, uh, once per turn. This is so complicated. What? It's not that, it's not that bad. Her deck building is, uh... Any class zero to three, uh, plus plus neutral, but she has to have at least seven cards from three different classes in her deck. Deck size thirty five, also. Yeah, and she has thirty five cards. And then her signature card is improvisation, which lets her fast switch her role, uh, and also I think reduces the cost of the next card she plays of that role. And then her weakness discards all cards you control of your current role. 
then discard the top card of your deck and switch your roll that class of the discarded card. So she has a couple copies of that in her deck, and she has two. She has two improvisations and two crisis of identity. Yeah. So uh, she's a she's was our first like puzzle investigator, I think, right? Yeah, she yeah. came out in Carcosa, and uh, she's still kind of a puzzle to us, I think. <laughs> um, there are people like our, our friend uh, Tim, who we recently talked to, who really likes her. Uh, Matastrophic, who's kind of like the famous like Lola guy. I I think not to go too in depth with it because I think more than enough has already been written and said about Lola. But she can be very versatile, kind of. But you're just you're, same deal with Jenny, where like she's spread pretty thin. Having access to all these cards is like cool, but you don't you you don't really have room to put like all the good cards in your deck. Um, and the biggest thing is just her weakness just is going to probably trash potentially a lot of the stuff that you have in play, right? So that kind of pushes you towards maybe playing like mostly events and that has its own problems. So I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, I think she's like a high challenge or, or skill ce- ceiling investigator just because you really need to be able to manage when you're switching her role in order to mitigate your weakness slash uh, make maximum benefit out of your cards. But it seems at least in multiplayer, like, She's difficult to play, but she also there's not like a benefit for it. Like she's not going to be better than a regular class that's just focused on fighting or or cluing or being yeah. Like, I I think that's right. I mean, but but, pe- but people do like her because she's unique. She has this. She f- feels very different from other investigators, and uh, you know that that's cool. Like if you play a lot of this game, you maybe want to try something different. You know, Lola's there. You can always play Lola. Yeah, I think she can be fun to play. Uh, just because she's like she's so weird. Uh, I just. It's hard to say that she's like, oh, she's definitely better than, you know, so-and-so in lots of situations. So, uh, yeah, but her strengths are she's she's uh, interesting. She's very interesting to play. Uh, it's got interesting deck building. She has access to, like, lots of comp- different combos because she has access to all the cards. I mean, cards that are good for her are just, like, stuff that uh, gives passive stat bonuses. Uh, those do not get turned off when she switches roles. So those can be good to, to pump up her stats. Uh, as, as mentioned, events are pretty good because those aren't at risk of being trashed due, from her weakness. Another dollar. If somehow she does end up getting six experience before dying, she can definitely uh, take two studiouses, which is pretty great. Well, just take the O-Wall, right? Yeah, permanents are good for her because they aren't at risk of being trashed as well, you're right. And then, yeah, events. I, uh, I should also mention, very relevant to Ben, she gets special story text if she plays Carcosa. So that's obviously... Uh... Yeah, she does. <laughs> so that is pretty critical. <laughs> yeah <laughs> she, has, she has a different setup too she starts in a different place because she's you know part of the play any uh anything more to say about lola no i think we've extensively covered everything the the movie we picked for her was david lynch's mulholland drive because uh it's about an actress so an actress to whom spooky things happen i don't want to say anything else great movie a lot of people have already seen it uh mulholland drive really good I think out of all the movies, I would recommend that the one most, mostly because I'm the most familiar with it and because it's a great movie and David Lynch is a wonderful uh, director. Yeah, we're not really breaking any new ground like everyone agrees that it's an amazing movie, but uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Yeah, and with all that said, we can wrap this episode up. Listeners, how do you feel about The Rogues of Arkham? Any movies you feel might be appropriate for any one of them? Which of these movies are you going to check out? Comment wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at comments at mur.fm. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.